Welcome to the Slam and Jam here on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. With me, as always, is Alex Spears. Please go to theathletic.com slash NBA show. Get The Athletic for a discounted rate. Uh, the quality of the articles that are written on The Athletic is just... There's there's nothing that you can compare to it. It's great. From the stuff that James Edwards is putting out there about the horrific Pistons to... I mean, Law Murray's always pumping out something good. Fred Katz, you can look at all of his stuff on the OG and an Obi trade. It's just great. And you can get it at a discounted rate when you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show. It's wonderful. With me, as always, Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night with two teams we haven't talked about in a while. The Brooklyn Nets and your Washington Wizards. The Wizards <laughs> got their sixth win of the season, beating Brooklyn 110-104 to 104, behind 26 from Kyle Kuzma and 21-13-6 from Denny Abdia. Mm. The Wizards continue to be a team playing in the NBA. For the Nets, things aren't looking great. They are currently on a five-game losing streak and are 2-10 in their last 12. And if that doesn't sound bad enough to you for some reason, the two wins during that stretch were against the Detroit Pistons, a team that is currently giving the GM who took four years to construct the greatest loser in the sports history a couple more chances just to make sure. Speaking of those Pistons, on Saturday night, all good things must come to an end. And on this night, it was the final episode of the best show on television. True. The Pistons ended their losing streak at 28 games with a 129-127 to win over the Toronto Raptors. Cade Cunningham put up 30-12 and in the two-point win, hitting all 10 of his free throws. Now, if you enjoyed watching the Pistons over the stretch and are sad your favorite show is over, the good news is the Pistons have been renewed for season two and are already on a losing streak again. <laughs> The Raptors were without starter OG Ananobi in the game, along with Precious Achua and Malachi Flynn, because we had our first trade of the season prior to the game. The Raptors sent OG, Precious, and Flynn to the New York Knicks in exchange for Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and a Detroit Pistons second round pick. On Sunday, the New Orleans Pelicans took it to the Los Angeles Lakers, leading by double digits for most of the game and finishing them off 129 to 109. After the disappointing appearance in Vegas against those same Lakers, things have been looking up for the Pels. They are 9-3 since the in-season tournament, with two big wins over the Timberwolves. It's been a great run, though it is worth mentioning that the other seven wins during that stretch were the Wizards, Hornets, Spurs, the Injured Cavs, Jazz, Lakers, and Nets. Not exactly a murderer's row, but hey, the Pelicans are 21-14, and and they have moved up to 6th in the West, only a game back of tonight's opponent, the Clippers, for fourth. Mm -hmm. For the Lakers, it's that time of year. The Lakers have lost three in a row in eight of their last ten, with much of the blame online going to head coach Darvin Ham. Could this be the end of Ham in Laker land? Shamsharania tweeted later in the week that, quote, there's currently a growing disconnect between Darvin Ham and the Lakers locker room stemming from disjointedness around rotation and adjustments. On Monday, it was the debuts for all the players included in Saturday's trade between the Raptors and the Knicks. 
The deal was seen by many as a win-win trade, and so far that take is looking pretty good. Because on Monday, the Knicks beat the Wolves and the Raps beat the Cavs. And later in the week, the Knicks beat the Bulls while the Raps beat the Grizz for a combined 4-0 record since the trade. Win-win. On Tuesday, it was the biggest test of the season for the young Oklahoma City Thunder with a healthy Boston Celtics team coming to town. The Thunder were up by 18 with seven minutes left in the game when Boston turned it on, getting it all the way down to a two-point game with a couple minutes left. In the end, however, clutch shots from Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams helped the Thunder escape with a 127-123 victory. The Thunder are now 23-10, and since we last spoke, have gotten Western Conference wins over the one-seed Wolves, three-seed Nuggets, and four-seed Clippers. On Wednesday... Those four-seed Clippers were in Phoenix to play the Suns, who were once again without one of their big three. Through 34 games, the Booker, Beal, and KD trio have played a grand total of 65 minutes together. Tonight, it was KD who was out, and despite Booker putting up 35 points on 15 shots, it was the Clippers who won 131-122, to 122, their 11th straight win when Kawhi Leonard plays. Despite the ongoing injury woes, things aren't awful for the Suns. Before the Clippers game, they were had been on a four-game winning streak, and they now sit at 18 and 16, ninth in the West. Finally, on Thursday night, it was a great game between the 25 and 10 Milwaukee Bucks and the 5 and 29 San Antonio Spurs. Victor Weminyama put on a show on his birthday, scoring a highlight-filled 27 and 9 with five blocks, including an incredible block on Giannis Antetokounmpo in the final seconds of the game. Wemby got help from his teammates too, including 34 from Devin Vassell, but it was Giannis and the Bucks who got the 125-121 to 121 win. Giannis put up 44-14-7. His highlights included a clutch three with two and a half minutes left to give the Bucks a late three-point lead. For the Spurs, it was a nice showing on national TV. Unfortunately, they are still somehow in the argument for worst team in the league with their league-worst minus 11.4 net rating, so an incredible accomplishment in a season featuring the Detroit Pistons. All right, so at this point, I wrote that last sentence I just said with about three minutes left in the Denver-Golden State game. I had it on in the background, but honestly was mostly ignoring it because the Warriors were up big. I felt safe. I don't need to wait. I, I, I'll, I'll just talk about the Spurs game. But no, we're talking about both games last night because the Warriors were up 123 to 105 with 651 remaining in the game. ESPN Analytics gave Golden State a 99.6% chance of winning at that point. The final score, 130 Denver, 127 Golden State in regulation. The Nuggets went on a 25 to 4 run to close the game and capped it all off with Nikola Jokic hitting a banked three from 39 feet as time expired <laughs> to get the win. The Nuggets are still good. The Warriors are a half game up on the Jazz yeah. for the 11th seed. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed, Al. I'm going to touch on Steph Curry and the, the Golden State Warriors in my segment called Five Stats That Made Me Say, Hmm. First stat. This is actually like very thunder heavy, which is the team that we both cover and also the kind of the team of the week, it seems like. Everybody wants to talk about the thunder this week. So we're going to talk about the thunder a little bit here, too. So the thunder starters have played 352 minutes together. 352, that's a lot of minutes. SGA, Dort, Giddy, J Dub, Chet at a plus 
which is pretty nice, some might say. The second most played lineup is if you sub out Josh Giddy and put in sharpshooter Isaiah Joe. Plus 22. That's very good. But it's only in 37 minutes. They have played 309 different lineup combinations this season, the Thunder have, according to NBA.com. And their they're like second most played lineup is 37 minutes. It's yeah. insane. It's insane. And like other teams have played more lineups. Like Dallas has played more lineups. Detroit has played more lineups. But a lot of that's due to injury. And for the Thunder, they've been one of the healthier teams in the NBA. And they're yeah. still just trying so many different lineup combinations. And it's really the, the only like true metric that you have on this team is the starting lineup. And they're pretty good. But there are a lot of like lineups sprinkled in there that are obviously much better than a plus 6.9. But uh, I thought that was interesting because you, when you compare them to other teams, their their profile is like that of a team that's had a ton of injuries and they just haven't had that so far. Um, and, and I would say there's a segment of the Thunder fan base who that annoys greatly. I, 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 sure. I've given up because uh, I've got I'm just used to uh, Dagnall playing so many different lineups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, th- there are still moments. They're, like, the, apparently, he sat Kenrich Williams in their last game against Atlanta, and he yep. was healthy. Mm-hmm. Some people have, have brought that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, we're quite frustrated because Kenrich is such a big part of this team's success. So. Right. But it's inter- it's what the team has done going yeah. back since Dagnall's been here. So. Yeah. And the team would say, the Thunder would say, they see it as an advantage. That people just don't know, outside of their starters, they don't know quite what they're going to do. So, right. Um, and it's worked. It's mostly worked this season. Uh, stat number two that made me say, hmm, Steph Curry. He's taken the most clutch field goals in the NBA so far this season at 58. He's shooting 50, 45, 96 in the clutch so far this season. And yet, wow, the Warriors are only 13 and 11. So you have Steph, who's taken the most shots. And he's hit, like he's hitting most of his shots, except for last night where he missed two of them and had one of the most egregious turnovers uh, at the end say. of the game. He was horrible last night in the clutch. But like, if you're the Warriors, like that made me like really worry because like some of it could be like shooting aberration from from Curry or whatever. No, he's been amazing, and yet they still can't win these clutch games. I mean, and and that they're getting in so many of those clutch games. Too, I mean, you said thirteen, eleven, so that's twenty four of their games. Too many have been close at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's too many. It left left Curry, <laughs> it left Curry gnawing on his mouth guard last night in disbelief that Yoko shot. <laughs> he just sat there, and whoever the shout out to whoever the cameraman was on TNT who just had the camera just zeroed in on Curry as he just stood there, just like staring <laughs> off into space, just gnawing on. <laughs> On his mouth guard <laughs> for forever. Um, but shout out to Steph Curry. He, I mean, this Warriors team is is kind of a mess. I mean, you could even see the panic in the lineups that they were playing down the stretch, where they're playing like Sharich and Trace Jackson Davis and like all these like, my goodness, like their their lineups they were throwing out there at the end of the of the game were just kind of wild. Like they just don't know where to go, you know, from from night to night, which signals to me. That they're probably going to have to make some kind of trade if they want to be like in the postseason mix. Uh, also, this is being signaled by Jonathan Kaminga, who this morning our very own Sham Sharania reported that Kaminga has lost faith in Kerr uh, and just him helping him get better as a player. 
and it, it's not good. Kaminga's at the final 18 minutes of the game, and I don't honestly don't blame Steve Kerr for that. Kaminga wasn't playing very well, especially defensively, um, but it's just not looking good. Shout out to Josh Hustis, who preseason said the Warriors aren't making the playoffs or the play-in. Like they're going to be on the outside mm. looking in, which was seemed wow. like a really bold take then, and now it's like, wow, like that could actually happen. All right, stat that made me say, hmm, number three. The Thunder not only have the best free throw percentage in the NBA at 84.7%, if they finish there or above 83.9, which is the current record set by the 2021 Clippers, they'll have the best free throw percentage for a team of all time, which I just don't feel like is being talked about at all, like how good like them and the Sixers, the Sixers are in this conversation too at 84.2%. Both those teams would be the best free throw shooting teams of all time, and it's happening this season. And I just don't feel like I really hear that being mentioned anywhere, um, which is well, a little I was just looking it up because that Clippers team, they were 28th in the league in free throw attempts. Oh, interesting. So they, they weren't taking a ton of them. No. What's really impressive, I mean, OKC is impressive, but they also are below average in free throw attempts. They're sure. 17th. What's really impressive is the Sixers are number one number in the one. league in free throw attempts. And are shooting eighty four point two percent. They're making making all of them. But yeah, I thought that was that that was that kind of blew my mind because I I really don't feel like and I know it's been discussed in like some corners of the NBA, but I don't feel like I've heard it discussed on like a more of a national platform. But eighty four point seven for the Thunder, eighty four point two for the Sixers, both would be like the two best of all time. All right, stat number four that made me say, hmm, the Minnesota Timberwolves starting lineup. Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, McDaniels, Towns, Gobert. One of the best teams in the West. You think, man, that'd be great. 278 minutes together, only a plus 2.1, which I was Mm. like, huh, that's interesting. If you sub out McDaniels for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, they're a plus 10 and 119 minutes together. And then even if you take out Gobert and put in Troy Brown, where they're playing more of like a, a 2024 type of offense, it's only in 62 minutes, but they're a plus 29 in eight games together. I just thought that was really interesting. I, I would have thought, you know, the the Wolves starting lineup is one that's played some of the most minutes in the NBA, 278 minutes yeah. together. And I just expected to see a better number from that lineup. They, they've really struggled, really, in particular, to score the basketball with that group. And, and some of it is that, like, the like the true creator of that group is, is Ant Edwards. Conley can do it a little bit off the bounce, but, you know, if you're asking, like, Towns or McDaniels or Gobert to create, like, they can't, and so I just thought that was kind of interesting where, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is not as good of a player as McDaniels, but he's definitely more of, like, a creator off the bounce, and so I wonder if that has something to do with it, and some of it is, like, some of these numbers can be a little funny, you know, over time. Yeah, I wonder, because they're, I mean, they're not in a slump, but they haven't been as good lately. They're four and four in their last eight. Yeah. So I wonder if where that number was prior to the Sixers game on the 20th when this kind of sure. mini slump started. Yeah. But just something to watch for with that with that Wolves team is like they like that is not exactly the profile of a team that would be number 1 in the Western Conference, you know, with a plus 2.1 only. So something to watch for. All right, my last stat that made me say, "Hmm." Shea Gilgeous Alexander is not only an MVP candidate scoring over 30 points per game, with his shifty offensive plays, 
but he's also a hustle stat king. First off, he leads the league in total steals by a mile. He has 80 total steals on the season. Second in the league, Matisse Teibel at 55. Like, he just has an outrageous amount of steals. He also leads the league in loose balls recovered and deflections this season. And so, all this to say, he's his defense is part of the reason why the Thunder are one of the best defenses in the league. They're, they currently rank sixth. They were fourth the other day before the Atlanta debacle. Like, they're really good. And they're able to use... They kind of tether Dort and Chet together, and then it allows Shea to kind of like play like free safety on defense. And he is like thriving in that role. So there's five And stats. it's also going to be yeah, a, a big ahead. part of his MVP argument yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah. Because as, as good as he has been on offense, and he obviously has been, he's hyper-efficient. What he's offering defensively is just such a different player than what we saw two years ago, mm-hmm. and and that is the reason he's made this huge jump that yeah. he's made. Yeah, where everyone is kind of talking about him as a top five player. Yeah, yeah, he's he is fully locked in on both ends, which I think should make him top two, top three, an MVP this season. So, all right, those are the stats that made me say, hmm. Um. All right, Andrew. Everyone knows uh, we're Thunder fans. Andrew just gave some Thunder stats. And look, we, we really do try we're not trying. to talk about the Thunder really, that much on this podcast. It's true. We, we, we don't want to be seen as homers. We mm-hmm. want it to be about the league. But mm-hmm. sometimes it is unavoidable. And their recent run, which I mentioned earlier, included wins over the other top teams in the, in the top of the Western Conference. It's become a moment for this team. You're hearing every NBA podcast do a segment on the Thunder. Mm -hmm. And one of the big topics of conversation around this team right now is, are the Thunder a true contender? A lot of people answering this question with a resounding yes, and I get it. Statistically, it's difficult to look at this team and not conclude that they are a contender. Per cleaning the glass, we are talking about the fifth-ranked offense, sixth-ranked defense, third-best point differential. Half-court offense is number one in the league. Half-court defense is fourth in the league. They are the number one three-point shooting team in the league, number two mid-range team in the league. Every stat you find about this team is screaming at you that they are a contender, which frankly makes me very uncomfortable, Andrew. I I don't handle (laughs) success well. I'm bad at enjoying things. I was watching Poku play 30 minutes a night, what seemed like a few months ago. I know. And now we're a contender? (laughs) I, I don't know if I'm there yet because of what the Thunder as a contender represent because not only are they young, not only are they inexperienced, but we're talking about a team being a quote-unquote contender in their first playoffs. Yeah. Even in the face of all these amazing stats, it feels inconceivable yeah. that this team could really be a contender. Now, to put that youth and inexperience into context, Hispanos NBA, the number one site for looking up this stat, <laughs> lists the Thunder's average age as 23.7, which is only older than the Spurs and Pistons, who currently have a combined eight wins. For the playoff experience, here's a quick trivia question for our listeners, because I know you know the answer to this, Andrew. Who has the most career playoff games on the Thunder? I'll give you a few seconds to think of a name. The answer is Davis Bertans with 45 (laughs) career playoff games. Davis is currently averaging seven and a half minutes per game in OKC. His role on the Thunder is sometimes coming in and shooting three threes as fast as he can and then immediately going back and sitting on the bench. That is his current role. All of OKC's playoff experience and wisdom is largely tied up in that man. But okay, 
I say that the Thunder as a contender would be a historical anomaly, but is that actually true? Have there been any teams like OKC in the past that I could look to as an example, a proof of concept that a team this young, this inexperienced could actually be deserving of the contender label in their first playoffs? And so that's what I went looking for. I went back to the 1983-84 season which I picked because it was the first season the playoffs expanded to eight teams in each conference. Right. I started by looking for any team that had home court in the playoffs after having not been in the playoffs for at least the previous two seasons. Hmm. So in other words, a team that was in the lottery for multiple years and then exploded onto the scene in their first playoff season. The one exception to this that I made was the 89-90 Spurs. Okay, They did yeah. make the playoffs in the 87-88 season, which was only two seasons prior. But they did it with a 31 and 51 record. Wow. Do you remember when they announced the play in? You heard some people saying it was rewarding bad teams yeah. and that it was crazy to have 10 of 16 teams in a conference <laughs> make the postseason. Back in the 80s, eight teams made the playoffs when there were only 11 and 12 teams in each conference. Only seven of the 23 teams in the league missed the playoffs. And they call us the participation trophy generation. <laughs> anyway, this got me down to 26 teams. As an example, last year's Kings team qualifies as one of these teams. Last year's Cavs team also qualifies. Both had home court in the playoffs after having missed the playoffs for at least the two previous seasons. Then I looked at the average age of these 26 teams. I decided to calculate the average age of the top eight players in minutes played for each team, focusing on the main guys who are contributing. I also looked at each team's offensive and defensive efficiency numbers and whether they had an MVP candidate that season, since SGA being one seems like an important aspect of OKC's contender argument. Having that top-tier level of player makes it easier to say they're a contender. And I defined MVP candidate as someone finishing in the top five of MVP voting. Yeah. And with that, I started to whittle the list down. Okay, first of all, three of the 26 teams actually won the title, and none of them have anything in common with OKC. It was the Bubble Lakers, the oldest team on this list, mm -hmm. the 2022 Warriors, another old team who really shouldn't have made this list but did somehow miss the playoffs two seasons in a row, and the 2008 Celtics, another old team with experienced vets. Mm -hmm. The only older team that I thought shared some similarities with this OKC team was the 08 Hornets. Chris Paul was 22, his third season in the league. Yeah. He finished second in MVP voting. Yeah. Tyson Chandler was 25. David West was 27. They won 56 games. And similar to OKC, great three-point shooting team, not an amazing rebounding team, didn't turn the ball over, and top 10 in both offense and defense. They ended up losing in the second round in that seven-game series to the Spurs, a great series. Average age was 28.6, though, so not a perfect match. The teams that made the finals without winning at all were all older as well, with an average age of at least 26 and a half. That was the 2002 Nets, the 2015 Cavs, which was LeBron's first return season, and the 2021 Suns. Now, the 21 Suns are an interesting comp for OKC. Obviously, mm -hmm. Chris Paul's age brings up the average, yeah. but the core outside of him was Booker, who was fourth in MVP voting that year, Bridges and Cam Johnson, who were all 24, and Ayton, who was 22. And similar to the 08 Hornets and probably every Chris Paul team and this year's Thunder, another good three-point shooting team that was below average in rebounding, didn't turn the ball over, and were top 10 in offense and defense. Lost in the finals to the Bucs. Had a ton more playoff experience simply because of CP3, but otherwise not a bad comp. Mm -hmm. 
Looking at some of the younger teams on this list, there's some fun ones. Now, the, uh, the Thunder of all these teams are still the youngest team on this list. But the second youngest team, with an average age of 23.9, was the 05 Bulls. The first Bulls team to make it to the playoffs post-Jordan won 47 games and lost in the first round as the four seed. Another really fun team that I personally loved was the 09 Blazers, who won 54 games, had an average age of 24, had guys like Brandon Roy, Marcus Aldridge, Nick Batum, Greg Oden, Rudy Fernandez, Travis Outlaw, Martel Webster, 25-year-old Channing Frye. Can you remember when Channing Frye was 25? (laughs) Just an overwhelming number of young players who you could get excited about. I distinctly remember talking myself into Travis Outlaw right around this time. Did you know his nickname is Mr. Fourth Quarter? Did you know that? <laughs> I Travis remember. Outlaw, I, I kind Mr. of Fourth remember Quarter. hearing that, but that, that seems improbable that that would be his actual nickname. That Blazers roster was not too dissimilar to the Thunder's current roster makeup with young guys up and down the nightly rotation. Yeah. So if you're looking purely at roster construction, I think the 09 Blazers are the best comp on this list. It's easy to forget now, but that team was loaded yeah. with young talent. Mm-hmm. Brandon Roy was an all-star. Aldridge was a soon-to-be all-star. Odin played 61 games that season. That was his second season. Number one pick, yeah. Now, we all know what happened, how injuries kind of derailed everything, but that roster was stacked with 24 and under talent, Mm -hmm. and winning 54 games in their first trip to the playoffs is still a massive achievement. They lost in the first round to the Rockets in six, so good comp, but not if you want to believe in OKC as a contender. Mm -hmm. Another team I'll mention, which I think is a decent comp, though, again, not necessarily as a true contender, the 2019 Nuggets, average age of 25.3, not too old. Jokic was fourth in MVP voting that season. Their playoff rotation featured big minutes from Jokic, 21-year-old Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, Monty Morris, all who were 24 under. Now, they did have 33-year-old Paul Millsap. He did bring yeah. their average up, but pretty yeah. young otherwise. Top 10 in offense and defense. They end up losing in the second round to Portland in seven. That was the year that Portland went to the conference finals. The final team I'll mention, and arguably the best comp, if you really want to believe in this Thunder team, is a team not on the list because it was a team from the 1970s. The 1977 Portland Trailblazers. Average age, 24.8, which is incredibly low for any team, but especially a team in the 70s when guys were coming into the league much older. Yeah. Their top four in minutes played were all 24 under, led by All-Stars Maurice Lucas and Bill Walton, who was second in MVP voting that season. In their first playoff appearance, not their first playoff appearance in a couple of years, literally the franchise's first playoff appearance, the Blazers won the title, beating the Sixers in six games. Now, you can't really compare the two teams stylistically. They didn't have a three-point line. Mm-hmm. Although, I will say that that 77 Blazers team is often talked about as you know, an example of unselfish basketball, sure. which, which you hear that a lot about the Thunder as well. But age-wise, the 77 Blazers are the best argument for a first-time playoff team being a true contender. So if you're buying into the Thunder as a contender, I think the 21 Suns and the 77 Blazers are the teams you want to hold on to, the teams that should give you some hope. No team is going to be a perfect comp, but in terms of having a young MVP candidate with a young surrounding core that was good on both ends, Those are the two teams that stand out. So while OKC actually winning would still definitely be a a once-in-a-league event because, again, they're the youngest team of all the ones I mentioned, maybe it's not quite as far-fetched as I had once assumed, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Except for, like, you have to go back, like, 50 years. (laughs) 
You don't have to go back 50 years. <laughs> it's not that <laughs> when they, crazy. Okay? When they didn't have a three-point line, <laughs> there were just a couple teams in the league. Whatever. Oh. Isn't that a, that is amazing though about the Blazers that yeah, that's having an average age, just having an average age of 24.8 in the 70s and then winning the championship. That'd be almost impossible. With that young of a roster. I mean, that it must have been impossible to have that many young guys and, on a team. And if 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 you're interested in that team, go read Breaks of the Game. An amazing book that was about, I think, the third season after that season when things started falling apart. They were barely making the playoffs at that point, um, largely due to injuries to Bill Walton. But there was a ton of stuff going on with that team. It's an incredible book if you haven't read it. A classic in the mm-hmm. genre. Well, Al, we're going to talk about another really fun team with Deuce and Mo. We're talking about the Sacramento Kings right after this break. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. Two weeks ago, the wheel landed on the Sacramento Kings. Now, it was an up and down two weeks for the Kings, who went four and three over that span. With wins over Phoenix, Atlanta, Memphis, and Orlando in a double overtime thriller, while the three losses included an understandable one to Minnesota and two absolute stinkers. A blowout loss to Portland and a loss at home to the Hornets, who came into the game on an 11 game losing streak. The Kings are now 20 and 13, fifth in the West, per cleaning glass. The Kings have the 13th ranked offense and 21st ranked defense. Andrew, if the Kings are our favorite team, who are our guests? When we were talking about this, I said there's only one one group, one duo that I would like to have for the Kings, Deuce Mason and Morgan Reagan from the Deuce and Mo podcast. I've just been singing yes. Deuce and Mo all morning. Yes. Just so excited. Oh um, Appreciate you guys for having us again. Thanks for being Thank on again, guys. They're in the studio, so you got to go check out YouTube just to see them in the studio here. On their tiny little their little screen with us on our screens, it's great. It's great. Um, so through thirty three games last season, the Kings were eighteen and fifteen. This season, the Kings are twenty and thirteen through thirty three games. Last year was such a special season for Kings fans. How different has the experience been of year two? Uh, like compare it to to last year with the increasing oh, expectations coming off last year's run. 
That's it. I mean, it's it's so <laughs> different. And I knew it was going to be different. There's nothing like the come up, right? Yeah. Especially sure. when you've had 16 years of missing the playoffs. I mean, last year it was like, the Kings are at 500. Can you believe it? You know, like we're all getting super excited just about being average. Yeah. And so now there's increased expectations. You know, it's like, hey, can they be better defensively? What's that number one ranked offense going to look like this year? And this year started with De'Aaron being bang, banged up a little bit. Keegan coming off a really slow start. Kevin Herter, who's really been a non-factor this year. So it's been kind of bizarre, but then you're like, well, they're ahead of schedule a little yeah. bit compared to last it, year. It feels like, obviously, record-wise, that they're ahead of schedule. But I think what's also been disappointing in some of their losses, mm. they look bad. Yeah. And then in some of their yeah. wins, it's it's powerful. It's like, this is the team that needs to just show some consistency going forward. And that's why even at the end of 2023, it was like, all right, that win against the Grizzlies, just a complete win on New Year's Eve. And then two days later, a terrible loss against the Hornets to start off 2024. So <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, the offense and last year it was number one in the league. And at that time, the most efficient offense we'd ever seen. This season, the offense has dropped off some, despite De'Aaron Fox suddenly becoming an incredible high-volume shooter. The offense is currently down to 13th in the league. What do you think are some of the primary reasons for the comparatively slow start for the Kings offense? I know you mentioned the early injuries, but I was looking yeah. even over like the last 10 games, their offense has still been ranked 13th. So it seems like even as people have been getting healthy, the offense has still been a little slow compared to last season. It's definitely been up and down. And what's wild is last year's number one ranked offense in league history would actually rank eighth this year in the NBA. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's wild about what offenses are doing right now throughout the league. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is you look at two of the Kings' most productive three-point shooters last year, Keegan Murray and, of course, Kevin Herter. Those guys made over 200 threes, over 40% clip. Kevin Herter is you know, he's not even starting right now. They're starting yeah. Chris Duarte ahead. So it feels like yeah. they're trying to figure out what's going on with the shooting guard spot. It seems like Keegan Murray's starting to come out of this funk a little mm -hmm. bit. He's showing more flashes of being consistent, but he's still a young guy. I think that's hurt them a lot. And I feel like they've gone away from some of the stuff that made them successful last year. That's... They were a heavy dribble handoff team. They're not playing as fast. Part of this seems like it's deliberate like they want to make sure that they're doing other things so come playoff time when teams are trying to take away the dribble handoffs and some of the things that they're so comfortable with that they can handle that better come playoff time but yeah it's just been clunky i mean deuce pretty much just said it all there right I, I, yeah thanks for taking every <sighs> single answer there because that is what it was i mean you you look at the dho's and now they're setting up a lot in that horn set where the two high screens come up and you have deer and fox you know just trying to go downhill on it and everything it's great and it, it's it's worked against certain matchups bringing some bigs out it's been great but it's like the dribble handoff like what that was doing for not only the shooters and you look at the way that they were coming off that creating that space from their defender but then allowing guys like even Malik Monk curling off of Sabonis Sabonis's shoulder and being able to be this uh elite playmaker which he still is but I just felt like it was creating so much more with their offense that I go I get why you're going away from it because you want to be more than that. But also, mm -hmm. like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I also think they're still running it, but it's less it's efficient, less. right? When when Kevin Herter is not being right. as yeah. impactful. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, someone who is impactful, Malik Monk. He's Oof. so he's talked about as like oh, this like classic sixth man, like microwave score kind of guy off the bench. But he's quietly been putting up career numbers this season, not just in scoring but in playmaking too. He's averaging five assists per game. And we got to see arguably his best game of the season in the double OT win against the Magic, where he put up 37 and nine, along with seven threes in 46 minutes. That's more minutes than Monk had played in the previous two games combined. Do you think Malik Monk deserves a more consistent like role with this team? I mean, I, I think I already know the answer to this question from listening to you <laughs> yeah. guys, but like, just talk about Malik Monk for us. So really quick, too. We make a joke all season long because you could look at his minutes in every single game, and it was he's playing off the bench 28 minutes, 29 minutes, 28 and a half minutes. It was never 30 minutes. And we're like, is this is, is a bomb going to go off? Like, what's going to happen if Malik Monk <laughs> plays over 30 minutes? We were just making... <laughs> Making jokes, and finally, you're starting to see. Okay, there is an issue. He needs to play more minutes. Yeah. Good things happen when he plays more minutes. I don't need him in that starting role, but I need him not only finishing the game. I need him contributing throughout the game a little bit more. And I think Mike Brown is kind of turning a corner in realizing that as well because he is a special player. I know he's a score first kind of guy, but he can make such a quick decision that as soon as he gets in the paint and even leaves his feet, he's capable of making some crazy beautiful play. Yeah, I think he is one of the most impactful bench players in the league. I mean, the guy's confidence. I say he's first team all confidence because you can't like shake this guy. Like, yeah, he looks to get buckets for sure. But he loves setting his teammates up. I mean, the pick and roll game he's got with Sabonis, he loves throwing lobs. He just loves attacking. So it's not like he's just coming in and chucking up shots. He's He he brings life to the Kings a lot of nights, especially with the bench units that's been up and down, that roles have shifted. He's been the one steady thing with Sacramento. And I think, yeah, he's got to play more, especially considering Herter has not been effective. Chris Duarte hasn't really been effective. Yeah. Like Monk needs more minutes for sure. So one of the uh, other bigger developments this season for the Kings has been the defensive improvement of Keegan oh. Murray, who's in his second season. As one statistical indication of this improvement, Dunks and Threes currently has Keegan 23rd in defensive EPM, mm. easily the highest for any Kings player. Watching him every night, what are some of the specific improvements on defense you've noticed compared to how he played in his rookie season? Well, one, he's just being, he's just moving better. Like last year, mm -hmm. he was getting hunted a lot, as most rookies do. And he spent the offseason working out with De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento the entire time. Like, they were playing one-on-one -on -one all the time. And, you know, I didn't think much of it at the time. Well, they're just both in Sacramento hanging out. But I think that just going up against De'Aaron Fox one-on-one -on -one is going to help your game. Right? You're going to be able to take on some different types of matchups. And you've seen his versatility. He's able to defend multiple positions now. He's playing more physical without fouling. And he's got good size. You know, he's six eight, six nine, and long. And I think he's done a much better job. He's also a high IQ guy. He he understands defense, yes. and and you're just seeing his growth. Where last year he's being hunted. This year, Brown's putting him on Steph Curry during a game, right? Yeah. Like he's taking on some more challenging matchups. Yeah, he's going up against some of the best players out there. And I think also, you know, he's always had his length. But his second year in the league, he knows how to utilize his length better. He knows he has more control of his arms, his body, and everything out there. And so he understands the importance of not only being able to quickly move your feet, but also contesting a shot. And you're you're seeing 
that he's able to contest shots against some of these guys that are usually capable of elevating uh, in the mid range or elevating at the rim. And I think he's also being a lot more physical. Yeah. I know we've talked about him on the offensive end, but he's been able to be more physical getting to the rim, but he's also been able to be more physical with guys without fouling. Hmm. We're almost a month away from the NBA trade deadline. How, how important do you think it is for the Kings to be active this trade deadline? And what are some of the biggest needs for the team that fans have identified as like, or maybe some obvious targets that like the fan base has identified? Yeah, I, I think being active is really important for this team because they have the same weaknesses that they did last year, right? And I think teams look to target Kevin Herter a lot of nights, especially when he's in the starting lineup. Uh, they go out Harrison Barnes. Those are probably some issues right there just from a defensive standpoint that limits the Kings from reaching their, I don't know, their highest of ceilings, right? I think that has to get better, those positions, especially defensively, having more athleticism, a little more versatility. It's what everyone wants, right? It's like, right. we want a whole bunch of guys that can hit threes and play defense. Like, they it's hard to both. achieve, right? right. But right. Th those are some upgrades that I think people look at like, okay, can you upgrade those spots? Um I think a lot of fans are looking around and they would love someone like Markinen, but it's just like, you're not going to get him. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge that Monty McNair faces. Is how do you raise the ceiling of this group when you don't want to trade Keegan Murray? Yep. Yep. And that's it. I mean, that's part it. of it is, you know, you, you can make some moves on, you know, with some of the guys we've talked about, but Part of it, too, is like, can Keegan keep developing? Can he turn into a legit two-way stud? Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. it's do, do not lose Keegan Murray in any of this. And I don't think that's their goal, you guys. So yeah. um, I, I think in some ways, like, he's off the table. Uh, De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis off the table, which, and I wish Malik Monk was off the table. I just don't know where sure. this front office is willing to go. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, I told Deuce, I go, what about some of the under the radar, under the radar top type guys, or just go to the Chicago Bulls and pick whoever you want, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the other names that, you know, Siakam's gotten brought up a lot, OG before he got moved and, mm -hmm. It's just like, I, I think these teams are going, if they're picking up the phone, talking to Sacramento for names like that, they're starting with Keegan Murray. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's off yeah. the table. So how are you going to upgrade this roster by keeping someone like Keegan Murray? And I think they should keep him. Do, do you, off the top of your head, do you know how many, they have one outgoing first, right? From the Herder trade? Yeah, the Hawks one, which is weird uh, how it's going to be conveyed. Like it could be conveyed this year if they, they miss the playoffs. So that's okay. kind of, you know, that that's the one that's kind of hanging around, but they could do some pick swaps and they have some desirable contracts. It's not like they have a whole bunch of bad contracts. So I think there are moves that Monty McNair can make. And part of it, too, I know you, you've talked about this with OKC before is like, I know it's not fun to be a little patient. Yeah. And there, yeah. you know, there there's a window for sure when you've got Fox and Sabonis at the same time. Like I kind of see want to see what Keegan looks like. I like I, I don't I don't want to mm -hmm. feel like they have to go all in. Like mm -hmm. it's okay to make the playoffs again this year and maybe get bounced out in the first yes. second round. Yeah. It's how do you grow from here? And part of it is just growing together and making some subtle tweaks around the edges. Yeah. Well, yeah. honestly, just if Kevin Herter just started, if he just broke out of this slump, like that would be like trading for a really good player, someone who really helped this <laughs> yeah. team last year. I was listening to one of your, I think it was one of your night chats, and you're talking about Duncan Robinson, 
who similarly last year, like he was out of the rotation yeah. for the Heat for a lot of last season. And then he gets to the playoffs and it's like, oh, there's Duncan Robinson. There's the guy we paid all the money. And now he's having a great season. And so you kind of just hope that like something similar can happen with Herter. And this isn't just like what he's going to be going forward. Track record. I mean, that's what we all, yeah. that's what we keep trying to say with Kevin Herter. And I think we remember his ups and downs throughout um, his time, even with the Hawks. And for so many people, they want to see success and results now, now, now. And I understand that sports culture, but if you're at the top and you're running this team, you got to make sure that you're still finding a way to understand the importance of some of these other pieces in their roles. And sometimes it's just their personalities and how they need to be communicated with differently to get the most out of them. I think Kevin Herter is just a confidence guy that, has lost a lot of his confidence and not only is he going to find it when he starts making shots, feeling his rhythm, but I think he, it's not that he needs to be babied. He just needs to be communicated with differently. I mean, this guy is like 25 years old. He has a track record of being a really good three point shooter. We've seen his playmaking ability. You can't tell me that all of a sudden he's just done as a basketball player right. and he's right. been super ineffective. So it's, you know, it's on him to try to get out of this, but like Morgan said, the coaching staff too. And I think that's the one thing you talk about the change with this, with this team this year. I think Mike Brown's been a little more rigid this year. I mean, I think the leash has gone shorter when it comes to mistakes outside of Fox and Sabonis. Like if you are out there and you're not doing, Oof. if you make a defensive mistake, sometimes you're getting yanked and you're sitting for a while. Malik Monk, the game before he just had this 37 point outing. Mike Brown played him five minutes in the first half and then came yeah. out the other night and said that was a mistake. So I think Brown has this, like, he has these amazing goals that he wants this team to reach. But I think there has to be some, you have you you can't treat every game like it's a playoff game in the regular season. You have to help these guys and put them in a position to succeed. Well, thank you for answering all of our questions about the Kings. But it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia game show where Andrew goes head to head against a beat writer, or in this case, two, because the challenger this week is Deuce and Mo. It's like one. Mo podcast. That's so mean. That is so She's what bad a with terrible trivia. teammate. She's bad with I'm bad at trivia, but like you could at least pretend. Like, hi, I'm Kevin Herter. Talk to me differently, dude. Like, I need some confidence in this. I'm ready. Wow. Wow, already some strife in the Deuce and Mo team. This is great. This is, this uh, is working out great for me already. This is great for Andrew. Um, okay, so how this works, I've come up with eight questions about the Kings. You'll give me a number between one and eight. Some are easy, some are hard. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one, and we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, Deuce and Mo, and obviously you, you two have to agree on your okay. all your answers. Okay. We'll try. <laughs> Got to be consensus uh, the whole time. Uh, what's a number between one and eight that you like? Go ahead. Thanks. I'll get this one right. Three. Three. Okay. Question number three. The Kings currently have three players, Sabonis, Fox, and Monk, averaging at least five assists per game. There's only one other team in the NBA who has three different players averaging at least five assists per game. Ooh. Who is it? And it's not some like you know guy who played two games and he's averaging five assists. All, all these guys are regular rotation players for this team. Okay. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's the Clippers. That's just my guess. I'm just going to look at Kawhi, James Harden, and Paul George. Okay. Is that? 
You know what? Do you like that? Yeah, because this isn't trip. This that is, was the first. This one. is like a yeah, yeah. We have it. to move fast. Julie. Go, go. Clippers. <laughs> Great guess. Honestly, made me go and look it up to make sure it wasn't right. But it is not right, unfortunately. <laughs> I was thinking because you didn't mention but Russell Westbrook. You know, yeah. How are they not right? Yeah. But they are not. Uh, unfortunately, <sighs> was I close? Yeah, he said that's why you uh, looked it up. Let's oh. see. James Harden's at 8.1. Westbrook's at 4.6. And then George and Kawhi are 3.9 and 3.6. So, no. Oh, the answer okay. is no. You're not. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so, no. Man. Uh, Andrew, any guesses? God, this is tough. Um, is it Denver? I don't know. The Nuggets, it is not. Would you believe it is? The Los Angeles Lakers. Is it? Oh, LeBron, D'Lo, and Austin Reeves oh, are all averaging wow. at least five assists per game. Oh, that is wild. That's okay. A great question. Uh, okay, I th- that's probably the hardest one. Shout out. That D-Lo. makes you feel any better. Um, Andrew, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one: Which of the following nicknames is not a basketball reference official nickname no. for Javale McGee? So this is specific oh, oh, to no. JaVale McGee, okay? So I'm going to okay. give you five nicknames. Okay. One of them is fake. Okay. The other four are real. Okay. The nicknames are Pierre, the Big Platypus, the Great Adventure, the Big Secret, Big Daddy Wookie. Once again, that is Pierre, the Big Platypus, the Great Adventure, the Big Secret, or Big Daddy Wookie? The Big Platypus. I was kind of watching Deuce and Mo during this just to see their reactions. And there was like mm, Big Daddy funny. Wookie. I, I don't know. I didn't study so. up his basketball reference there, before this. There was extra movement on the Big Platypus, so I'm just going to go with that one. Well, I didn't fool you, Andrew, because the Big Platypus is not yes. a JaVale McGee nickname. However... In 2012, when he played for the Wizards, yeah. he fooled everyone by saying he had just purchased two platypuses. Really? Platypi. Apparently, you can say either. And everyone thought it was real. And uh, it turns <laughs> out he, he didn't own any platypus. <laughs> Not even one. What? Well, it's interesting really quick, too, because his family photo for Christmas this year, he was holding like a, a snake. There's yeah, snake yeah. There, and had a little... Santa hat on it. So, like, I wouldn't oh, really? be surprised if that was. Happening. Well, he also, I, I don't know if he still has, but like, he had as a sphinx cat, like a hairless cat that has an Instagram account. So, he's a big okay. animal guy. Yeah. Well, he's a vegan, go. I learned. Oh. So, it wasn't the worst nickname that I came up with. Uh, okay. Do some mo. Board is yours. Let's go number four. Question number four Keegan Murray mm-hmm. scored 47 points in a game against the Jazz a few weeks ago. Since 2000, four other Kings have scored 40 points in a game before turning 24 years old. Can you name all four? Now, you do get a half point per correct answer. Oh, my on gosh. Uh, since what year was that? 2000. This was since 2000. So there's been four Kings players who have scored okay. 40 before turning 24 years old. Wow. Okay. Um, DeMarcus Cousins. That is correct for a half point. Um, <laughs> someone random. Kevin Martin. That is correct for a full point. Wow. Two thousand. Okay. 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 
I'm just, I'm so bad with ages. So yeah. I was about to name off some guys, but they probably were not 24 with <laughs> yeah, the Kings. Just name one. It's okay. You don't have to. It, it, it doesn't have to be your final answer. You can just throw it out. You can discuss. Okay. One. That could help Andrew, but. Hmm. Some you know, oh. one I was kind of thinking of was also did Marcus Thornton. I'm not submitting that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm not. I don't know how old he was. I feel like he had some big games. I like you that. You try to think of those bad teams, you know? Yeah. Mike was older when he was here, right? And Andrew said he liked it, so now I don't like it. I like um, that. Yeah, Mike was <laughs> older. Mike, yeah, yeah, he did not score 40. He was probably over 25 by the time he scored That's 40. That's what, okay. Because yeah. he did score. Yeah, I think he was over 24. Okay. Um, man. I, I like that one. Isaiah Thomas. That is incorrect. Oh, God. I knew that was a gamble. He played wow. four years of college ball. Wow. Okay. Uh, Andrew, you have a chance to steal. There's one point remaining, two names on the board. Did Pages do it? Andrew, that is also incorrect. Ouch. Ooh. Now, the name you all should have gotten for sure De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox, one of the names. Oh, my God. Wow. And the other name, Marcus Thornton. No. <laughs> wow. That would have been a great one. Why wouldn't you I just go with it? You should have. You should have been like, oh, this isn't submitting. You should just submit. Wow. Submit. Yeah, Andrew, you even said that one was great. Why didn't you just take it? Because you're uh, a liar. Because I thought it was wrong. <laughs> I thought it was great for me. <laughs> oh, Marcus Thornton, man. He, There's he a moment with him. Years. He had some fun games. He did. I liked him a lot. Uh, okay, Andrew, board is yours. Two, two to one. Number Andrew two. is in the lead. Question number two. Demonis Sabonis is currently leading the league in rebounds per game with 12.8. Since 2000, there are only three other Kings who have averaged double-digit rebounds for a season. Name all three. And you have to give me all three to get the two points. Oh. So no half points here, Andrew. So you have to just, just throw out three names, and then I'll tell you. Once you give me them all, three double digit bounders right since 2000. Three double digit bounders since 2000. Kings players. No age limit on this one. <laughs> no age limit. That feels like a, is that, gosh, I don't know. I, I say, I think Chris Weber did it. I'm pretty sure. Okay, that is one name. Um, since 2000. Boogie. Okay, that's your second name. You have a I third don't name. I know if this other guy, when you said age limit, it made me think of this one guy, but I don't know if he did it with the Kings. I'm feeling nervous about it. Good. Mm. I'll say Vlade, but I just don't know that he... I don't know that he got the bounds. I don't know that Vlade got the bounds. All right, so Andrew guessed DeMarcus Cousins, Chris Webber, and Vlade Divac. Andrew... That is incorrect. Ducemo, you have a chance to steal for one point. Would you like to borrow any of Andrew's names? Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and borrow Cousins and Weber. Okay. And the last one. Mm -hmm. Brad Miller. That is absolutely correct. Yes! Oh, me. And the game is tied. Ooh. Two to two. And Brad Andrew Miller, is baby. frozen. <sighs> Oh. I think he. I, I thought he was just disappointed for a second. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He's holding that face for a long time. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> really sad. Oh, no. We can still hear you. Oh, though. we can it's hear not you. Good. Though. For the records, I did whisper Brad Miller to Deuce Mason. Just letting everyone okay. know, I can play this game. <laughs> Thank you for putting that into the official record. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, okay, do some mo. The game is tied 2 2 with four questions oh. to go. Which number in the game against Atlanta on the 29th, De'Aaron Fox hit eight three pointers, a career high in Kings franchise history. There are nine other players who have also hit at least eight three-pointers in a game, and we're going to name them all. So how this oh. works, Deuce and Mo, you'll give me a name, then Andrew will give me a name, and we'll go back and forth till one of you stumbles. So these are Kings players who have hit at least eight threes in a game. And I will tell you, this is, I guess it doesn't matter, but this is specific to Sacramento Kings. Did they even have the three-point line? I don't remember when they moved. Anyways, it's just Sacramento Kings. Okay, so Deuce and Mo. Your first name. Mike Bibby. Yes, that is correct. Mike Bibby did do it once. All right, Andrew. Buddy? Buddy Heald? Of course, Buddy Heald did it plenty of times. All right, back to Deuce and Mo. Man, you think? Oh. It gets a little murky. Well, then do the one that we're positive with. I'm not positive about this one either. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Consensus. Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter has done it. Yes. That is correct. Back to Andrew. What about Bogdan? Bogdan Bogdanovich. Andrew? That is incorrect. Seriously? Which means wow. do Get the points. The other names yes. on the list. Keegan Murray did it okay omri caspi mitch richmond barnes nemanja bealitsa Mm -hmm. and once again marcus thornton Thornton. (laughs) wow i'm glad you got that wrong because i don't know how many more of those i would have got right (laughs) what a question i don't know it's gonna land on very many of those (laughs) wow uh okay andrew you're now down by two three questions All right, five. Question number five. There are 12 two-man lineups that have played at least 400 minutes together this season for the Kings. Only one of those 12 lineups has a negative net rating. Who are the two players in that lineup? And you get one point per correct answer. Wow. Kevin Herter? Do I have to say them both? Andrew, that is incorrect. Oh, okay, great. Cool. Uh, doesn't matter because you got the first one wrong. Cool. Uh, okay, do some <laughs> mo. You have a chance to steal. Davion Mitchell. Also incorrect. Would you believe that the only negative two-man lineup that's played at least 400 minutes together, Demonis Sabonis and Malik Monk, you no. never would I got. Yeah, this is this, this is typical the athletic uh, agenda yep. against yep. Sabonis. <laughs> I like it's it. Disgusting. Right. We're I don't appreciate that. Got that right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you have a lead right now, and you really want to bank this win. Okay, we're staying. Uh, by the way, you got to stay for at least a couple more questions. You play with five. Who do we care about? Two. You know why do we care? Oh, shut up. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> is it our choice? Yeah, uh, it is your okay. choice. Mm-hmm. We'll take seven. Seven. <laughs> According to Cleaning the Glass, there's only one Sacramento King who is in the 70th percentile or higher for two-point percentage, three-point percentage, and free-throw percentage. Who is it? Free-throw percentage? This whole team can't shoot free-throws. Let's see. Uh, to me, it's... Um, 
That's so mean. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my first reaction could be Keegan. The 3.1 is the one that's I'm questioning right now. I was just looking at his mid-range numbers yesterday. How's his free throws? Because you... Pretty good free throw shooter, I think. Solid. I know. I know that's Malik a... Monk's a really good what free throw shooter. What about Harrison? He's pretty efficient. Okay. Go with it. I, I, okay, I, we're going to go HB. Wow. Going Harrison Barnes. And to be clear, that was... Most choice. I agreed, though. I endorsed it. No, and that is it. correct. Yes! yes, for two points. He's efficient. I, he's oh, frustrating, no. but he's efficient. He's frustrating, but he's efficient. Uh, great <laughs> guess. You guys have basically you've won wow. the week. Now we still have one questions left. It doesn't really matter, but it's a really fun one. So, okay, good. Andrew, here's the question: mm -hmm. Demonis Sabonis has played 297 games in his career, where he logged at least 30 minutes. In those games, how many times did Sabonis fail to record at least five rebounds? Now, you get to choose who answers first. You can make do Samo answer first, and then you go higher or lower, or you can answer first, and they will go higher or lower. So 297 games in his career where he's played at least 30 minutes, how many of those games did he fail to record at least five rebounds? Seven. Andrew sets the bar at seven? Do some more. That's funny. I literally wrote down seven, seven. with a square <laughs> really? on my paper. Um, <laughs> Why don't we up him? Or like lower? Go six. Six or eight? Six. Nice. The correct answer is three, which means do some Another point. Finish the week wow. seven to two. Win on Andrew versus the Beat. Congratulations. Wow. This can, one I, of... can I just say this real fast? What do you? The this... first time we played this, we got dominated, and mainly because we were up until like four o'clock in the morning in downtown San Francisco. Wow. So I, it was nice to be refreshed and ready to go, and you know, absolutely show what we're capable of. Wow! Sounds like we have a, a rubber match coming up sometime. In the <laughs> yes, you got that That's right. Three. You got that right. Um, at least I got the weird Javale McGee question. That was. <laughs> Like, that's true. <laughs> that's very weird. That's just a pure guess. Hey, you should go listen to the Deuce and Mo podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great show. Maybe you're not a Kings fan. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a Hornets fan or I'm a Magic fan. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a great NBA show. You should go listen to it today. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you guys so much. You're the best. Thank you. All right, Andrew, that was Kings two weeks. Two weeks of Kings. Uh, we're going to spin the wheel. Let's see how many teams we got left. 22 teams. Mm. A lot of names on the board. Mm -hmm. There's only a couple teams I wouldn't want to watch. Most I'd be <laughs> excited to watch. So let's see who we get this week on the Wheel of Fandom. Our team next week will be the, okay, Indiana Pacers. Ooh, the Pacers. Playing well right now. Yeah. I'm going to go take a look and see who uh, who they're facing uh, this upcoming week. Yeah, yeah, they've won five in a row. Yeah. They've got games against Atlanta and then Saturday against Boston at home. Monday against Boston at home. Two games against Boston. Wow. And then the Wizards on Wednesday. Yeah. Against Atlanta, there's a chance that they both, that, the, that we reached the over 300 points scored. 
in that game. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's Which, a rematch of that game. So hoping, hoping to see that happen. Hey, something else that I'm hoping to see is you guys leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, we'll read it on the show, just like this one from my guy, Brighton Schmidt. He says, love the Slam and Jam, best NBA content out there, and he wishes us a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for that review, Brighton. And again, leave us a review. We'll read it on the show. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball, and we will talk to you guys again next week.